Hello, this is Glove Rose. I am Michael. And you got Mr. Barnes here, too, helping out. And we're talking about the French and Indian War. Yes, sir. So what do you want to talk about first? Well, shouldn't we talk, talk about what started it, the Forks of Ohio? Okay, yeah. So, what do we know about the Forks of Ohio? Bas um, basically, they were a territory fought over by the British and the French. Um, both sides wanted this land because um, they had awesome fertile soil and it was kind of like making their way west out of the eastern coastline um, but the one big issue was the Native Americans that were there so not only were the French and the British fighting over it the Native Americans were kind of smashed in the middle wanting to keep this land for themselves and um, use it to their abilities. Now didn't the, didn't the French and British actually push them there first? So originally yes so the natives were kind of spread out all through the coastal lands, um, the western side of the Appalachians, um, and basically what happened was these Native Americans just started getting bullied out of their territories, and um, they didn't really have a, any feet to stand on at the time because, as we know, the British Empire was one of the biggest empires in the world at the time, and the French were kind of trying to control that land to the west as well, and they were basically clashing there in the middle, which ended up being the Forks of the Ohio, um, where those rivers met, and the British and the French were kind of fighting over that to gain um, an imperial advantage as well. Okay. Is that all that happened at the Forks of the Ohio? So now the, the whole French and Indian War was fought at the Forks of the Ohio, so um, all the battles, especially like the first one, Battle of Jumonville, um, whenever Washington snuck up on uh, the British soldiers there, he basically ambushed them. And that was, if you remember, that's the one where Washington was a war criminal. Do you remember why? Because the chief Indian that was helping George Washington uh, killed the head guy on the French. Yep, so uh, General Jumonville, um, he was kind of stood up there at an outpost and Washington came in in the middle of the night and basically scouted him out. So Washington was like on top of a hill and looking down at Jumonville's soldiers and what's funny about this is Jumonville was definitely preparing for battle. Um, he had the muskets, he had um, the different artillery that he needed, he had the soldiers and Washington looking down on them was like and they are down there readying for battle. So that was the biggest reason Washington went over there, was to just kind of scope out what was going on um, in this outpost. And whenever the battle started, which was the next morning, Washington's men kind of jumped on them. And by the end of the day, um, both sides kind of surrendered. There really wasn't a winner of it. Um, technically, you could say Washington's men won. Um, but do you remember who was or who the people were that actually made Washington a war criminal? The Native Americans? Yeah, so Washington's Native American allies kind of went in there, and um, after Washington turned his back and they thought that Jumonville had surrendered, Washington's Native American allies just went in there and was like, screw these guys, we're, we don't like them, we're cutting their heads off. So they assassinated not only a few of Jumonville's soldiers, but also Jumonville himself. And that's why... President, or not President, not President yet, um, General Washington was looked at as a war criminal there. Now, didn't they just accidentally bump into each other? They were just kind of walking about and bumped into each other? 
during this battle? Yeah. No, so not this one. This okay. one, Washington was sent by um, the uh, administrator of Pennsylvania, I believe, to go check out and see what was going on there in the forts because they knew that they knew that the British were readying for war, and they had to figure out what are we up against. And basically, Washington went in there to check it out. And one thing Jumanville said after the battle was, we're not here to fight. We're here to just, it's just our outpost. It's where we're staying. But Washington knew that because of all this artillery, all these weapons, that Jumanville was there to start a battle. Um, and at the end of the battle, uh, after Washington was named a war criminal, Washington originally did not know that he was a war criminal. Because whenever the treaty was signed, or the uh, yeah the treaty, whenever it was signed, it was in a different language, so Washington couldn't really see it. And also another factor that played into that was that it was a super rainy morning, and the ink on the paper was blotched, and they couldn't really read it. So didn't Washington, also the person who was interpreting it also read it to him wrong? Somewhat. So it was super hard to read, and Washington at this point was like. We won the battle, so we're going to move on, um, go back to the Great Meadows. And basically, they read through it, and they didn't read the fine print, as they call it in modern-day advertisements. And Washington didn't realize that he was a war criminal. Now, after the battle, you kind of look at it as Washington never really got tried as a war criminal, because, as we know, he kept going on and fighting battles. Um, and that will be our next topic, if you want to talk about it, is Fort Necessity. Um, which was the first battle that Washington, first and only battle that Washington lost. So wasn't Fort Necessity a fort that wasn't really that well built for battle? So Fort Necessity definitely, um, it was kind of a quick fort that they put up. And it was in a really, really bad spot because they built with these circular logs to where um, the British couldn't really get in. Um, or the French couldn't really get in, and basically they were, they built in a great meadow, and the French could kind of come out of the woods. They could kind of hang out in the woods and watch them, almost like a like a guerrilla warfare tactic. But they didn't really use guerrilla warfare then. Um, and by them building it in that great meadow, it sat in a low spot, and um, oftentimes it flooded. So. The actual battle of Fort Necessity, what happened there was um, the enemy came in and basically surrounded Fort Necessity. And we're looking at a picture right here of Fort Necessity. And so you can kind of see how if all of Washington's men are stuck in that fort, how do they get out? How do they... They how, didn't. They didn't, right? Until the enemy came in and was like, we're going to surround you. And it was... It was a massacre, basically. Um, now, didn't it rain the, the morning of this? And that's so another, all the trenches were flooded. That's another reason they dug a trench around Fort Necessity, so it made it a double barrier for Washington's men to try and get out of. So that was kind of crazy about Fort Necessity. But yeah, I really stress on understanding, especially once we get into the American Revolution, um, that this was one of the only battles that Washington ever lost, and that's why a lot of people saw him fit to be the first president of the United States, too. If not, do you want to start talking about the uh, taxes that were made up after the yeah, war? Yeah, so we can, uh, after that war, so like leading up to the American Revolution, 
Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about some of those. So, um, basically what we know about the beginning of the American Revolution was that the 13 colonies, they were basically run under parliament across the Atlantic Ocean. So that's like somebody in Colorado telling us what to do here in Christmas. Okay. And obviously the colonies didn't really like that because if Colorado was telling us that we had to buy our bread from the store for a lot more expensive price, we wouldn't like that because we work hard for our money around here and we shouldn't have to pay anything more than what we need to. And like, for example, the tea tax. Um, so the East India Company, they they were the ones selling the tea, so it was frowned upon for the colonists to create, to make their own tea. And that leads up to the Boston Tea Party, which is down the road a little bit. But it was frowned upon for um, the colonists to make their own tea because they wanted, the British Parliament wanted to tax the East India tea and also it be made overseas to where the colonists had to pay an extra tax to buy that tea from them instead of just being able to make it by themselves. Um, a few other taxes that were imposed which really kind of ticked off the colonies were um, stamp tax. The Stamp Act, yes. The Stamp Act was a big one because any sort of mail, postage, paper item, you had to put a stamp on it, which we look at today, it's not a big problem because stamps are still kind of expensive, honestly. I don't know what they go for now, 15, 30 cents a piece. But uh, yeah, they had to put a stamp on something to mail or any sort of postage. And then there's also the Townsend Acts that um, they started basically taxing everything else, like um, oils, uh, what else was there? Um, glass. Glass, paper paint. items, paint. Um, so basically anything you needed to carry out your daily necessities, the parliament was taxing. So this is what kind of upset the colonies because by 1770s, 1768, 69, the colonies were like, we're fed up with this. Like, when can we start controlling our own country and not let somebody, and not let King George do it from however many miles away across the Atlantic Ocean? Now, didn't what really made them mad was whenever there was an act where the British soldiers could sleep in the people's homes without their permission? Yeah, so that was um, following the Intolerable Acts. That was one of the Intolerable Acts, and it was called the Quartering Act. And basically what the Quartering Act was, um, British soldiers were allowed to be housed in the homes of the colonists, because essentially what happened was you had the Boston Massacre that started, Yeah. and the Boston Massacre was basically the colonists kind of uprising against the British Crown, because if we're walking down Main Street in Chrisman and there's a war going on and you start to see the enemy soldiers start to show up, you're going to be a little um, a little def defensive and kind of just trying to figure out why these soldiers are here because we haven't done anything wrong, not yet at least. So the Boston Cat Massacre started that. After the massacre, um, soldiers started being able to quarter in the homes of different colonists and the colonists hated that because not only did, not only were the British soldiers rude and absurd about it, they walked in there and just kind of like went through people's possessions and took a bed for themselves. And there were some areas where there were barracks for the British soldiers, but the problem was there weren't enough. So you had to start quartering them inside different colonists' homes. And um, another big thing about that is the Quartering Act allowed the British or the British soldiers to listen to everything 
that the colonists were saying. So it's just like when you sit down at a dinner table at night with your family, you talk about politics, you talk about the drama going on in, um, in the town or within the family. So whenever colonists would sit down for dinner, um, they had to watch what they said because there were British soldiers in there. So it's kind of a soldier, the British soldiers' tactics of what's going on in the colonies, we're figuring it all out. Because one family will talk about one thing, then you'll have another family that talks about another thing in another house, and if all those soldiers are listening to each individual family, there's not really a whole lot of secrecy going on within the colonies anymore. And didn't all this end up leading up to the uh, Boston Tea Party? Mm -hmm. So the Boston Tea Party, after the tea tax... Um, you can talk about this one a little bit. What they dress up as? Uh, they dress up as Indians and went on to the uh, boat that was hauling in the tea. And you got to remember, they were all Indians who shipped the tea, so it was easily a good cover up. And especially at night, you couldn't really tell. So during the night, they went in and threw all the tea off the boat. Yep. Which ended up leading up to some more taxes that they put. So is the East India Company shipping company that? Uh the colonists dressed up as Native Americans because back then Native Americans were kind of looked at as uh, savages a little bit. Um, so you never knew, you never knew the Native Americans' next move. You always you wanted them on your side because they had a plethora of knowledge. They knew the land, and you always wanted them on their side. But you could never predict what they were going to do, who they were going to fight for, or what they were going to do. So they dressed up as Indians because. One, they're not American or British colonists at the time, or they're not British soldiers. So you think, okay, Indians went and threw all the tea in, and then they left and went back to their homesteads. Um, so yeah, the, the Boston Tea Party was a significant event in um, the beginnings of the Revolutionary War. Which ended up leading to more tax, like they had to pay back all the tea that was threw off the... Mm -hmm. So that was another part of the Intolerable Acts was... The Boston Harbor was closed until um, the taxes were paid off on that tea. Not only the taxes, but they had to replace all the tea that was lost. Um, and then that was really what essentially led up to the American Revolution, how it kicked off and started. And then there were a bunch of different battles um, within the American Revolution, but I think we could probably talk about that uh, on our next session, right? Yep, sounds good. All right. Thanks, Mike. You're on. So this was Globe Bros, and we'll see you next episode.